Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Middle, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. And I'm James. Welcome to our continuation of Vampires. <laughs> yeah. Blah. 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 Uh, when, when I hear vampires, I sometimes think of the Peanuts comic strip where <laughs> kids are just walking around using their fingers like fangs. Ah, it's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, this episode, we are going to talk about vampires in literature. And your mom. It, <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 how, that's how you get Dom Pierce. <laughs> At least she won't get pregnant because she has to invite them to come inside. <sighs> yeah. Like James mentioned in, in the last episode on vampires and folklore, the folklore starts to come together in uh, the 1600s and the early 1700s. Yep, 1600s, 1700s. Yeah. So you don't see the first actual literary vampires until the mid 1700s. The earliest forms were poems. And the earliest one that I have found was a poem written by a, a little-known German poet, uh, Henrik August Ossenfelder. If this... <laughs> I didn't know this was Ossenfelder. I swear it's soup. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I, that was... I... <laughs> Again, Warner Brothers cartoons. <laughs> But in 17, and I think I've seen two different dates on this. The one I have down is 1748, although I think I saw 1743 um, as a possible date for this. But it's a poem, uh, Der Vampir. Uh, like I said, I believe from 1748 by uh, Henrik August Ossenfelder. You said that. I did. I'm saying it again. All right. And of course, keep in mind, this is before United States was even a country. Yes. That's the timeline we're talking about. Yes. So, yeah, because this would be pre-Revolutionary War. Uh, so this is, like I said, this is believed to be the first uh, ever reference to a vampire in modern literature. The poem tells the tale of a scorned lover threatening to seduce an innocent maiden into his world of darkness. Ooh, world of darkness. Huh, that's where they got it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow, I have no idea. Uh, um, a, a world he believes is far superior to her mother's pious teachings. He ain't wrong. So um, I'm actually going to read this poem. I do have an English translation. Of course, uh, Austin, Felder, Austin Felder wrote it in German. And, um, but but there, is a, there is an English translation. I was not able to find who translated it. Every place I looked where I found it, it's the same translation. But <laughs> several of them said translator unknown. So, wow. Huh. Yeah. I am going to go ahead and read it. Before I do, there's uh, some, some words I want to go over here. Uh, the first one is I'm, I'm not sure on the pronunciation. I'm going to go with Tiza. Austin Felder wrote it as T H E Y S E. But I think it's a river that runs through Central Europe, and I think it's pronounced Tizza because an alternate spelling is T-I-S-Z-A. So 
I'm, I'm going, yeah, I'm going with the Tizza pronunciation. Uh, another word that, that's, that's in here is, uh, I was pronouncing it Hey Duck, but it may be Hey Duke. I don't know. It's, it's, it's exactly like it sounded the first way I said it. H-E-Y-D-U-C-K. It's a quasi-military official from the 17th and 18th century in Hungary. And uh, the last word is toke. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, that's a type of Hungarian wine, ah. um, which I did see mentioned in a story that we're going to talk about a little bit later this episode. So <laughs> I don't drink toke. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here, here's uh, the vampire or der vampire by uh, Henrik August Lassenfelder. My dear young maiden clingeth, unbending fast and firm, to the all-long-held teaching of a mother ever true. As in vampires unmortal, folk on the tizen's portal, Hayduck like to believe. But my Christine, thou dost dally, and wilt my loving parry, till I myself avenging to a vampire's health a-drinking, him toast and pale took hay. And as softly thou art sleeping, to thee shall I come creeping, and thy life's blood drain away. And so shalt thou be trembling, for thus shall I be kissing, and death's threshold, though it be crossing with fear in my cold arms. And last shall I thee question, compared to such instruction, what are a mother's charms? That sounds like the same cadence I use when I do uh, Lenore by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, t- um, uh, Lenore, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the Raven. The Raven. Yeah, that's that's typically... I'm sure it's the same meter, which is why it would be the same cadence. But it's funny you should call it Lenore, not because that name gets used in Poe's poem, The Raven, but because Lenore is the next poem I was going to mention. That was published in 1773, was written by Gottfried August Berger. Uh, August is apparently a popular name in German. It's not a vampire poem per se. Or, or the character in Lenore is not a vampire, but not necessarily, but the poem itself was very influential on the vampire literature that was to come. So, uh, and another one that came out wasn't a, uh, was, was a prose work. It wasn't a poem, um, but this was uh, Travels into Dalmatia, uh, published in 1774. It was written by Alberto Fortas. It was uh, kind of like a travelogue. You know, a guy went to different, places in Europe and or he went to, to, to Dalmatia and he wrote a story of his travel there and it contains what is supposed to be a story of a fight with, a va- with vampires. Um, I have not been able to find this to read it so I, I don't know uh, exactly what, what the, the story is that's in there but supposedly that's included in there. Hmm. Oh, wow that seems like Jonathan Harker's little travel thing when he wrote in his diary. I, it kind of does yeah. <laughs> And, you know, as I, as I was researching this, uh, something that I've noticed in a lot of these stories is that a lot of them are written in first person. It may have just been a thing at the time. That seems like a lot of, yeah, very common. Mm-hmm. One that I have read that um, I'm not going to read, it was really kind of a long poem. In 1797, uh, The Bride of Corinth was published. It was written by uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe who is also the author of Faust. Which is a very good episode someday. Yes. 
Um, well, he's not the primary author. He wrote probably the most famous play. They actually came from uh, chapbooks. Yeah. Um, before then, but yeah. Yeah. This is possibly the earliest erotic vampire telling. Yeah, there were several several others. Uh, Thalaba the Destroyer was published in 1801. was written by Robert Southey. I have not read that one. I've, I've been looking. I haven't found that one either. One that I have read, published in 1810, was written by a guy named John Stagg. It's called, uh, surprisingly, The Vampire. <laughs> um, now, this, this one I've, I have actually recorded. I'm not going to put it in this episode because we've talked about maybe doing a small episode for later on in, in October where we've got several of these vampire poems. The next one I'm going to talk about, though, is, uh, is by Lord Byron. Uh, who's going to come up here again in a little bit, but it's, uh, and I think I'm pronouncing this right. Uh, my understanding is from what I looked up, it is pronounced the, the Jower. Uh, Jower is spelled G-I-A-O-U-R. This was published uh, in 1813. Not about a vampire, but it's about a man from, from Europe who has traveled to the Ottoman Empire. He's done something evil and where the vampire part comes in is that he's being cursed to become a vampire for what he's done. And like a vampire, uh, when we talked about this last episode in the vampire folklore, he will haunt and feed on his own loved ones. Now, the word jower is taken from the Turkish word, uh, which may be pronounced the same way. The Turkish word is spelled G-A-W-U-R. Um, and it's the Turkish word for infidel. So, in the you know, like I said, Ottoman Empire and this this European guy. I like the Bride of Corinth. It's kind of a lengthy poem, although I don't think it was as long as the Bride of Corinth. So I'm going to read an excerpt from it, which is basically the last part of the poem. This is as he's being cursed. But first on earth, as vampire sent, thy course shall from its tomb be rent. Then ghastly haunt the native place and suck the blood of all thy race. There from thy daughter, sister, wife, at midnight drain the stream of life. Yet loathe the banquet which perforce must feed thy livid living course. Thy victims, ere they yet expire, shall know the demon for their sire. And cursing thee, thou cursing them, thy flowers are withered on the stem. But one that for thy crime must fall, the youngest, best beloved of all, shall bless thee with thy father's name. That word shall wrap thy heart in flame. Yet thou must end thy task and mark her cheek's last tinge, her eye's last spark, and the last classy glance must view, which freezes o'er its lifeless blue. Then with unhallowed hand shall tear the tresses of her yellow hair, of which in life a lock when shorn, affection's fondest pledge was worn. But now is borne away by thee, memorial of thine agony. Yet with thine own best blood shall drip thy gnashing tooth and haggard lip. Then stalking to thy sullen grave, go and with ghouls and afreets rave. Till these in horror shrink away from specter more accursed than they. So anyway, there's uh, Lord Byron's. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's kind of even creepy for now, let alone back in... Oh, oh I, I know. I love <laughs> more of 1812 era. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Just that excerpt. I, like I said, I've read the full poem, 
but that part right there was really, I thought, that was really powerful. Um, and, and like you said, really creepy even for today's standards. <laughs> it's like, wow. So published a few years later in 1816, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that year uh, for the next couple of things. Uh, but Christabel, written by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, the author of uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And um, Kubla Khan. And Kubla Khan, yes. And also in 1816, that's where we took a little trip down the mighty rivers of the mighty Mississippi. We took what? a little bacon. We took a little beans. We fought the bloody British in the town of New Orleans. Oh, yeah. Just trying to give context. Context. <laughs> because, oh, you know, I, that, that's I'm, the year. I'm out of beer. No way. I got a drop. Mm, okay. Best drop ever. <laughs> <laughs> but Christabel, uh, kind of like Lenore, was not necessarily about a vampire, but was influential on the genre. Also published, well, not published in 1816, but conceived in 1816. As a matter of fact, the same night that Mary Shelley came up with the story Frankenstein, Lord Byron came up with a, a story and actually started writing it, but he never finished it. His physician, and some people would say lover, John Polidori, took what Byron had wrote and finished it and published it in 1819 as The Vampire or uh, the vampire a tale he took several little tiny bits and pieces right yeah the book as it's published now contains a few other things besides the story because it's it's considered a novel it's actually considered the first vampire novel in english as far as i know the first vampire novel period right because other places it was mostly folklore and things yeah. like that it wasn't a a fictional story right but this, to me, it's a short story because it's a, it is really short. I mean, I've, my copy of the book is right here, and it's all of, well, shit, it's not even, the pages aren't even numbered, but I would be surprised if this was 30 pages long. Mine is uh, <laughs> 16, I believe, like a normal 8 by 11 and a half or whatever. Yeah, and that's is about, about, yeah, that's roughly about the size of this, so. I mean, it's bigger. It's, it is larger if you put everything in, but if you only want to read just that story. It's really it's short, yeah. I, some of the other stuff that's in there, there's an extract of a letter from Geneva. I, I don't know who wrote it, but it was. It kind of described Byron's time in Switzerland, uh, which is where the story was conceived, as was Frankenstein. They were all in Switzerland when, uh, in 1816, the night this story contest took place. Now, was there also perhaps some sort of theater or gambling establishment that was on fire? No. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> nice. There's an introduction, though. Uh, it's Again, I don't know who wrote that. It goes into the folklore of vampires and early examples. Uh, it talks about early examples of English uh, poetry, referencing them. Uh, including the that's actually where I got the excerpt from Byron's the, the Jower that I just read it's also got an extract from another letter and, and again I don't know who wrote this part uh, describing Lord Byron's character and defending him against his critics because he had he had many for reasons that we won't go into in this episode no yeah would you like to know what else happened in 1816 to give context sure yes and so would the listeners I'm sure they would <laughs> damn it <laughs> So in 1816, it was the year of no summer, mm -hmm. a lot of famines because of weather issues. Indiana becomes the 19th state in the United States. Woohoo! And in 1819, 
Alabama becomes the 22nd state in the union. Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, we're celebrating the uh, bicentennial of Alabama this year. Woo! Bama. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> Queen Victoria was born 1819. Ooh. As was Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And interestingly enough, Palladori, son of Italian immigrants, but he himself was English, mm-hmm. got his MD, medical doctor, from the University of Edinburgh at the age of 19 after writing a thesis on sleepwalking. Huh. Interesting. Did not know that. And now you do. <laughs> you didn't happen to mention the name of the book they were all reading that made the whole thing, right? I think I mentioned it in last year's episode on the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein. Definitely mentioned it then. Uh, well, okay, what was the Because I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It was uh, the 1812 Phantasmagoria. Yes. I mean, which, they run in 1816, but you know. Which is still in print. Uh, well, I don't know if it's still in print, but I did find a recent edition on Amazon for a reasonable price. Nice. Yeah, I have not ordered it yet, but I, I have found it. So the vampire is Lord Ruthven, um, also known as the Earl of Marsden. He is also the first aristocratic vampire. He has a peculiar appearance and personality, but is mesmerizing and able to seduce and corrupt. He's also based on Lord Byron. <laughs> we talked about vampires being very sensual, seductive creatures. And from yeah. what I understand of Lord Byron, that's why some people did not care for him. So yep. Uh, the, the character of Lord Ruthven appears in an earlier gothic novel written by Lady Caroline Lamb. Uh, it's a book called Glen, Glenarvan. Lamb was a former lover of Byron's <laughs> and used the human character of Lord, human character, not a vampire, but a human character named Lord Ruthven to paint an unflattering picture of Byron. So Polidori kind of took the name and used her description, but turned him into a vampire. Uh, by draining him of blood? Uh, sure, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Some of the neat things I thought about this, because when Jody said he wanted to do this specific episode, uh, spe- specifically on Paul Droy's The Vampire, I, I did read it. It's very good, very nice, doesn't take long. Uh, you, One of the things that struck to me, uh, there were a few, is foreshadowing is used to great effect. Oh, yes. Yeah. In this, it's... They do a, a great job. Now, to modern eyes and ears, or, or you know, reading, listening, it's going to be a little misogynistic. Yeah. But everything from back then was because that's how things were. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. Uh, they they talk about the tour of the continent. Mm-hmm. That's part of the whole story. Is the young man goes on the tour of the continent, and we've talked about that because that's a big thing that English did. So I just would like to hearken that back to a earlier episode. Yep. Um, and, and this may go, I did not realize about how they used him as a, they, they used a description from somebody else, uh, but they actually talk in this, how they describe him. Uh, Polidori describes the vampire is that they pretty much ignore the fact that this guy is a huge bore, mm-hmm. but, uh, it, or he's silly or kind of everything, but he's wealthy. So yeah. they don't care. He's wealthy. Everything's good. Yeah. Uh, except that, 
there's also something about him because this was written at a time and this was something that goes throughout folklore a lot is the inside is mirrored on the outside. So even though he's very handsome, there's something still off-putting and evil about him because of his inside corruptness. Yes. Yeah. And, and I will say it took me a time or two of reading a few paragraphs to understand the fact that he actually is making very to, to go back to Jody's poem he was talking about that he would take innocent girls and make them quite naughty. <laughs> yep. That's that's the, they they that's very much in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another little folklore thing in here. This goes with uh, fairies, by the way. The she, especially in Irish myths, mm-hmm. is that uh, without giving much away, because I think you should read this. Yes. But the protagonist makes a promise to the vampire, thinking the vampire can't do much at this certain point in the story uh only to have it go horribly horribly awry yep and never 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 make promises with any dark power ever 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 (laughs) yeah it just does not work out for you no matter what you think no matter what's going on just no you just don't nope but other than that i think my only little thing oh i've got two things haha woo Ah. is you mentioned how they used Lord Ruthven from a name from a previous story. Yes. He is referenced, Lord Ruthven, is referenced in The Count of Monte Cristo. Really? Yeah, Dumas makes explicit reference to, uh, to Lord Ruthven in, in the story, stating that his character, the Comtesse G, has been personally acquainted with Lord Ruthven. <laughs> nice, because Dumas is going to come up here in a little bit. Well, there we go. And uh, the only other thing I had on this is that initially they were going to make a film adaptation of this to be Uh released this October, but it's still in pre-production. So I don't think that uh, Rowan Ashes, the vampire, will be released for this Halloween. I imagine it'll be next next Halloween at this point. Yeah. I had not heard that they were doing that, but I, I am intrigued. I would like to see it. I don't know. I mean, I looked at a couple of the other things the guy's done, and they look the ones I've seen or kind of read about look good. So, yeah. Cool. Should be good. So, Polidori's story, The Vampire, it gets turned into a stage play, which then gets adapted into a, another stage play, which then gets adapted into an opera. <laughs> That's some vampiric inception going on. Yeah. So it had a really big impact. It was a really popular story at the time. And, you know, spawned imitators and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a couple other stories, Wake Not the Dead, which was uh, published in 1823 by Ernst Raupach. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it wasn't just in English that a lot of this stuff was being written, though. Um, the Family of the Vorderlach was uh, written in 1839 or 1843. I've seen two different dates on that. Uh, doesn't get published until 1884, though. And it was written by Count Alexis Tolstoy. Not not that Tolstoy. It's the other toy, Tolstoy. It's, oh, the, the, the Tolstoy, not the. Yeah. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, right. they, they are related, though. They are related. He now, was, as far as your, uh, your dates, uh-huh. what, what were the dates again? Okay, so it was either written in 1839 or 1843. I, I saw both dates, but it could, I guess it could have been written between 1839 and 1843, too. But it not published until 1884 was what I saw. 
Yeah, yeah, I've seen uh, mostly 39, which is okay. why, and, and yeah, uh, published 1884 in Russian and 1950 uh, in French. Yeah, actually, what I read was that he wrote it in French, and it yep. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't published in Russian until a few years later. Right, and not actually published in French until even later. Oh, okay. Wow, that's even different, yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. But yeah, he wrote it in French. Yeah. Um, see, okay, so he was he was a Russian poet, uh, novelist, and playwright, and also a diplomat. He wrote the story while he was working as a diplomat. He was, um, uh, what was he, he was a diplomat in Germany, but they had sent him to France for something, so it was on his trip to France, he wrote the story, or trip back from France to Germany, or uh, and yeah, like and if you read the story, you actually get that because of the character who travels from France to the the German, Austrian, Transylvanian yeah. whole region. Mm -hmm. now he, I, th I think he's going to Moldova. Yeah, so he has to go through those other areas. But yeah, and now he also he had another story uh, again, just simply titled "The Vampire." <laughs> <laughs> I. I think I have found an English translation of that, but not online. So what what I found was a an edition that was being sold used on Amazon, but it was like fifty bucks. That was in English, and it's a it's it's a it's a collection of stories. So I think both stories, the Vampire and the Family of the Vorderlack, are both in it. Oh, nice. Yeah, actually, he also served in the Russian military during the Crimean War. So, and we just we've talked about the trooper. So I wanted to kind of throw that in there. Yeah. So you should all go listen to the trooper mm -hmm. right after this and, and you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were the one that recommended this story to me. So what, uh, what, what do you have on this? So I, I loved this and it, it is a very, very good story. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. And it's that's even I, shorter than the other one. Yes. Um, I, that's why I, I would like to find his, and he may have had a third one. I'm not sure because I've seen reference to another vampire story, but I don't know. I don't know if it's a third story or if it was just like the Russian word for vampire. And I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so, that's a good point. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's this, I, I loved this story. It was a really good story. I'm, I'm glad you pointed, pointed it out to me. Yeah. It's nice. The main character is an older guy and telling a story of what happened to him when he was a younger man. Uh, and again, then, again, first person. Yes. <laughs> but I love this because he's talking about how he was in love with this countess and they were getting it on. And then that's why he had to go do this thing. And he's like, and of course, young mademoiselles, I would do the same for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all, it, was, it was great. Uh, it was great. But it, it takes place. So not at the telling when he's an old man, but after like, when he's telling the story within the story mm. that happens just after the, the French Revolution. Yeah. So you get a really neat idea of what's going on there. Uh, but again, wonderful foreshadowing, like foreshadowing in two or three or four different places. Mm -hmm. And it's just awesome. But it's it's almost a love story that turns horribly wrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh -huh. there, there are some religious things towards the end, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and things. But it's it's okay. It's what you would expect in a vampire. Yes. But it's it's very very good. <laughs> you, know, you know what I loved was um, <laughs> at the end when he's trying to get away from the family, <laughs> and, and the the old the old man, the the the, the, the grandfather vampire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was it? He used the 
he used the metal rod. Oh crap! He, I've actually... he throws one of the children. <laughs> he throws a couple grandchildren. Yeah, and the then... guys the guys on horseback trying to get away, and the grandfather vampire picks one of the children up and throws it at him. Yep, <laughs> and it, he kind of like nags him a little bit, and I think that's how his horse ends up getting hurt. And yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think it wound up getting the horse on the neck, and <laughs> but the horse stayed stayed alive yeah, long enough to get actually... him away and then died. Yep, it reminded me a bit of Tamashanter. A little bit, and, hey, yeah. Just a bit. Oh yeah, it's 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 quite good. Uh, so it, it, it's flor, uh, floral, <laughs> flowery. Yeah, what you said. Flowery writing. He's the wheat field and the breeze, the rustling that mingled with bird song, a rolling waterfall and whispering trees. Then all these confused sounds resolve themselves into the rustle of a woman's skirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, well. <laughs> Uh, yes, it is a very, very good one. But the thing, the reason why I wanted to mention this particular one mm-hmm. is the 1963 film, uh, Mario Bava. Uh, one of those three parts of it is I, Wordalak, oh. based on this, and it features Boris Karloff. And the name of that film? Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, which is where Black Sabbath took their name because they saw the movie poster. Yes. I, you know, I, I was, I wasn't even, you didn't tell me that's why you wanted to specifically talk about that one. But yes, I did read about all that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that night, uh, I saw something else too that made it interesting, but that was the, the main one. But anyway, yeah, I, I, that was good. It, it's for sure too. It took yeah no time to read. If, if you're an avid reader, it'll be quick. If you're not, it's still very good and won't take long. It, it's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely enjoyable. Um, and, and it is kind of that whole Transylvanian thing. You get this, this Eastern European yeah. empire type of thing going on. Yeah. You know, like you said, it's short. Like Polidori's story was, was very short. At the other end of that extreme. Oh, gosh. Can I guess? <laughs> Can um, I guess where you're going with this? Sure. I'm going to guess, if you're talking about long stories, uh, Varney the Vampire. Yes. Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Varney the Vampire was written as a Penny Dreadful, and it was published between 1845 and 1847. Penny Dreadful's being like a serial type of almost comic book type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not necessarily comics written, you know. Right, yeah. Think of it as a monthly magazine type of thing. Yeah, they typically were paid by the word and published in kind of like a pamphlet form. So... When Varney was finally compiled into a book form after the last, I guess, issue came out in 1847, it's like 232 chapters long and almost 667,000 words. <laughs> I, I read it and I had to take many breaks. I, I started to read it, but the ebook that I read on... Uh, whatever e-reader I was using at the time was incomplete. I was pissed. Huh. No, no. So I, I know kind of yeah. how the story ends. Yeah, but I it does not. Now I do have the entire thing. I think it's University of Virginia. They have the entire text online that you can download, or you can just read it online. But again, six hundred sixty-seven thousand words. <laughs> so y- you might want to download it. <laughs> yeah, don't. I got the e-reader. I rarely do e-readers, but I did this time because I yeah. was not printing that off. 
Yeah. Uh, now it was written either by James Malcolm Reimer or Thomas Peckett Prest, or both, um, as the two of them had also collaborated on the Penny Dreadful, The String of Pearls, which introduced... Ooh, ooh, ooh. I know this one too. Sweeney Todd. Yes. The Butcher of Fleet Street or whatever the hell it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So meat I, pie, my love? Yeah. <laughs> How about a fresh meat pie? <laughs> Varney, outside of the, the length of the story, it was, it was very popular, uh, but the, the Varney the Vampire introduced the idea of sharpened fangs to vampire literature. Now, up until then, the, the vampire teeth tended to be longer because, you know, the gums recede. So when you see a dead body, you think the teeth grew. Um, yeah, same with the nails. Yeah, same with the nails. But uh, Varney apparently was the first story to introduce the idea of the fangs being, the canine teeth being sharp. So that was, that was one of the major things that it introduced. Now, the story's got several inconsistencies. Of course, you know, at 232 chapters and... <laughs> I forgot what they wrote a year and a half earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so some of the inconsistencies include whether or not Varney is actually a vampire. <laughs> um, it meanders a lot, characters disappear from the narrative, and the time period changes with no explanation. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the first half or so quite well, mm -hmm. and then, yeah. yeah. I'll be honest, I kind of skimmed it after a while because it did get sort of uh, wonky. <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely, it definitely does. Um, and, and like Lord Ruthven, uh, Sir Francis Varney is a nobleman. And most of the plot revolves around him terrorizing the Bannerworths, a formerly wealthy family uh, that has fallen on hard times. If, if you read this and you've read Dracula, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll see a little bit of uh, overlapping structure. Oh, yeah. Although Dracula's a little more concise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, inconsistent. <laughs> yeah. So we mentioned uh, Alexander Dumas earlier with uh, Count of Monte Cristo. He's also probably best known as the author of The Three Musketeers and The Man in the Iron Mask, although Count of Monte Cristo is a pretty famous one too. He tried his hand at a vampire story with The Pale Lady, which was published in 1849. Not read it. Uh, and I'll be honest, I have not read any of his stuff, although I do have a copy of Three Musketeers and The Man in the Iron Mask. Well, so um, you say D'Artagnan. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that episode should be out where we talked about the <laughs> you and Rob and Donnie being the three musketeers. <laughs> yep, I, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it'll be out by the time this episode is anyway. <laughs> In 1872, however, uh, we get, well, okay, I'll back up a little bit here because I'm not, I didn't write down when um, these, these three, apparently this is a trilogy, uh, but one of uh, Dumas's French contemporaries was a novelist, uh, Paul Favel, or Favol, Favol, it may be Favol, I don't know, it's French, I'm butchering it, <laughs> uh, not intentionally, but um, he wrote several vampire stories, um, like I said, in the 19th century, contemporary of Dumas. I did write down the English names of these, Nightshade, and that's night, like a, like, like a night, not nighttime, but a night, you know. A Knigget? A Knigget. Yeah, so that's Nightshade, uh, the Vampire Countess, and uh, and I love this this name. I need to look these up. 
uh, Vampire City. Yeah. Yeah, I actually read a bit about that, too, and it looked interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably not going to read it. Um, I, I'm, I might. I don't know. <laughs> As I started to say earlier, in 1872, Irish author Sheridan Le Fanau, or Le Fanu, or however you pronounce it. <laughs> oh, if he's Irish, it'd be Fanu, but yeah, it I'm, sounds like it's maybe a French name. <laughs> I they or they had they had immigrated to Ireland a generation or two before him. So, uh, so they weren't those damn Normans. No. Okay. Carmilla is published uh, in 1872, features a female vampire, and is the first vampire story. And remember, this is 1872. It's the first vampire story to have a heavy lesbian overtone in the relationship between the characters Carmilla and Laura. Yeah, so when you read a homosexual vampire erotica now, that's your thing, go for it. Just saying, yeah. it's simply been around already for 147 years. Yes, yeah. It introduced several things that would wind up in the next story I'm going to talk about. It, it introduces um, a a, kind of an Eastern European castle kind of thing, and you know, in a remote location, and you know, some some of the stuff like that. So that kind of leads us up to 1897. Ooh, I have one before that. Okay, what do you got? I have 1887. Ooh, the Horla. Oh, I damn yes, I wanted to look into that one. I didn't get a chance to. Written by Guy Da Musselpasant, French which is yes. why I butchered it. Yes. Uh, but he was a big inspiration on H.P. Lovecraft's writing, which is why I thought it'd be interesting to mention. Okay, so uh, new wave of British heavy metal band Angel Witch. They had broken up sometime in the early 80s, but they got back together uh, in the 2000s at some point. They released an album, As Above, So Below. And there is a song on there Sounds called... Sounds like witchcraft to me. It could be. Um, there's a song on there called The Horla, and I've not listened to it a whole lot. I really haven't paid much attention to the lyrics, but I wonder if it's based on that story. So I'm gonna uh, I, to... I would imagine knowing Angel Witch and knowing the spelling of the name, I can't imagine that would not be the case. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I will pay more attention to the lyrics next time. <laughs> yeah. I did want to look into that, though. I did see that story. It, just, it, it didn't hit me until now that I had seen the song, too, or had heard the song, but... I had seen that listed, and I just hadn't had a chance to look into it. Well, you know, when the the chorus is dead, perhaps the horla after man the horla. I'm going to assume it's, and they mention cold shadows and what's not. Uh, I'm going to assume it's maybe about the horla. Okay. What? Uh, so you, you you must have looked up the lyrics. <laughs> no, no, I just I just knew them off the oh. top of my head. Yeah, sure. Without any help from any phone. Ah. Uh. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to 1897. Ooh, I know what happens here, but you go ahead. I'm going to drink. Okay. And of course, there were other, a whole bunch of stories that we haven't even mentioned because vampire literature was becoming very popular in, in the, in the uh, 19th century, in the Victorian era. Actually, before I get into this story. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should have done it. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, there, was, there, there, was kind of a, there was kind of a movement in the Victorian era, this is kind of the era when, in England, isn't this kind of when women get the vote, the right to vote? Uh, well, the Victorian era lasted for quite a long time, because yeah. until recently, Queen well, but Vicky, I mean, yeah. yeah, but I mean, like the the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. 
I just know it was just a little bit, I think, before uh, the U.S.'s yeah. um, suffragette so the, movement. Apparently, there was a, that there were a lot of female vampires being written about, and it seems to coincide with uh, what they call the New Woman Movement, feminist movement of the 1880s and 1890s. So they, you know, they think that may be why there were some, or, or it's, it's been mentioned. Um, I've, I've got this book, The Rivals of Dracula. It's a collection of vampire stories edited by Nick Renison. And he kind of, in the introduction of this book, he talked about the Victorians and the, the new woman movement and how there were a lot of female vampires being written about at that time. Um, cool. Yeah. So that kind of gets not necessarily turned on its head, but um, in 1897, <laughs> what's become the, the most popular vampire story uh, is Dracula, written by Bram Stoker, another yeah. Irishman like uh, La Fanu. It's certainly popular in its day, and I think had a lot of critical success. It didn't become a real classic until later in the 20th century. We're not going to go into Dracula a whole lot because, you know, like I said in the folklore episode, we kind of want to do an episode just on Dracula. Yeah, he's that, that, that would be, yeah, we should do him justice. Yeah. Um, although I do want to say that, you know, I, again, like Polidori's story, Dracula gets turned into stage play. And it is through this stage play that we come up with what has become the most iconic image of Dracula and that would be Bela Lugosi in the 1931 movie. Lugosi had played him on stage. He was a natural pick for the part although he I don't think was the original pick for the part in the movie. Actually I think it was Lon Chaney was the one they wanted. Uh, That would have been good too. Yeah that kind of well not necessarily started because there was another uh, there were actually a couple, at least a couple of vampire movies before, and we're not going to get into movies right now. But um, I, again, that's something else we're going to wait and do another at another time. Um, but Dracula holds the record for most portrayed literary character wow. as of yeah huh. as as of 2012. So it's higher by now, but as of 2012, he had appeared on screen 272 times. So that that's more than any other literary character. That's impressive. Yeah. But can they make planets? No. <laughs> I know where you're going with that. No. <laughs> Fine. Come on, Spock. Let's go. <laughs> Vampire literature uh, continues on into the 20th century. Um, keeps, you know, going on today even. I didn't go a whole lot into post-Dracula stuff. Because I, I guess the, the next really big vampire novel that would have come out would have been uh, 1954 Richard Matheson's I Am Legend yeah yeah Yeah. it's good although it's kind of odd because uh, I guess it's a vampire novel I mean it's vampires yeah and they're in there but you don't really no I guess you see them quite a bit never mind it's just been a while since I've read it and the the movie is not even remotely close yeah to it at all but no no it, it's actually neat. It's, it's a very interesting almost role reversal yeah uh, the next one that i could think of uh after that would have been um well and actually i'm not sure which one was published first because i didn't really look these up because i just because they are so fresh i still so I'll, I'll mention the one i was going to first 
Stephen King's Salem's Lot. Kind of took it back a little bit more towards the folklorish side. Less of the aristocratic vampire and more of the monstrous. Monstrous, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm Legend came out way before that, right? Didn't that come out in the 50s? Yeah, it came out in 54. No, yeah. the other the other one I was going to mention was, because uh, I, I know Salem's Lot came out in the 70s. Uh, Anne Rice's interview with the vampire came, comes out around the same time as Salem's Lot, and I don't remember which one was first. Uh, interview, I'm, gonna, I'm looking it up now, but I want to say 76. Yeah, I'm thinking that was 76, and I don't remember. 75 was Salem's Lot. Okay, so it was just a little bit before. But I'm yeah. double-checking, so, because it could be wrong. And now I have 76. not read. woohoo, okay. I got it right. Although that was based on a very short story written before then. I don't know the year of that offhand, but I know it was several years before, so the short story she wrote came out before Salem's Lot. Okay. But okay. probably one of those things that probably wasn't so popular that it influenced Stephen oh, King to write it, especially right. since their protagonists or the monsters or vampires or whatever, completely different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I've, I've not read I Am Legend, but I have read both Salem's Lot and uh, Interview with a Vampire. I've, man, it's been so long since I've read either one of them. <laughs> oh, I've read Interview with a Vampire, the series, quite a few times. So I could yeah. go into detail about it, but I, I would rather save it for its own its own thing. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I, and I know that there's a, a, been other stuff published since then. Um, I didn't really look into it. I wanted, I really wanted to cover more of the older stuff because it was closer to the folklore as far as time frame when it came out kind of stuff. But the vampires have evolved. Of course, you've got the Twilight Saga. Uh, True Blood yeah, yeah. Is, is also a book series. Although uh, True Blood is the movie, um, oh, the Suki Stackhouse. I forget the name of the actual yeah. series, but Suki, they, they call it the Suki Stackhouse series, but um, True Blood's the HBO show and the, the yeah. book series has a different name. Yeah. Uh, I know this because my wife loves them and I've watched some of the True Blood series with her. Okay. And I've heard good things about True Blood. I know, I know this, the, the Twilight stuff's very popular, but I did, I didn't sit down to watch it, but I walked in to a house or something and one of the Twilight movies was on and that's all I'm going <laughs> to say about that. Um, I went to watch them. My daughter wanted to see them when she was younger. So, I yeah, you know. Yeah. Isn't there a series of, uh, what is it, an Anita Blake Vampire Hunter or something like that? Yeah, and one of our old gaming friends, Elizabeth, uh, let me read a few, and they, they're good. Okay. Uh, very yeah, different. I've, I've heard really good things about them. But again, it's not just vampire. Uh, she, the vampires, werewolves, all sorts of things, uh, but they're actually out in the open. Uh, the vampires and werewolves, people tend to, uh, even if you don't know who they all are, you know they're there. So she goes after the rogue, more okay. or less, and okay. I mean, she, she has vampire and werewolf lovers, and you can actually get impregnated by a vampire. So it's it's a yeah. bit different and well-written. If you like the the more, it's it's not even remotely like a Harlequin romance. Right. But if you're going to add a, something to that type of book series that's mm -hmm. kind of what is in there yeah uh, but it's a little erotic too because you know she doesn't shy away from the sex scenes yeah um and that's uh, laurel k hamilton's the author of those and i actually i met her briefly at dragon con one year oh neat um didn't quite realize that's who it was because she was actually talking to somebody that i i think i think i was rooming with him that year <laughs> and he had he had met her previous years at dragon con and he, he stopped her 
I don't know, coming off the escalator or something. And I was talking. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah, nice to meet you. And I was like, wait a minute. I've heard that name before. <laughs> um, I, I've not read them, but yeah, yeah, I've heard, uh, definitely heard good things about them. And she was kind of nice. So, you know, it was maybe someday when I get around to doing some other stuff, I'll sit down and read them. <laughs> they're good. They're, they're, they're easy. It's kind of a cotton candy for the brain but still well written. Yeah. So. And hey, and nothing, nothing wrong with that. And you know, we're kind of making fun of twilight a little bit, but you know what, if, if you enjoy that, then, then go ahead and read it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you, if that's, you know, what you're into, not our type of vampire, but, uh, not our cup of blood. Yeah. Not know. our cup of blood. Yeah. It's <laughs> and who knows, maybe if you read that, that will get you interested and you'll go read a good one. Uh, I mean, a different one. <laughs> Do you have any other books that we didn't hit on or? Uh... No. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, Terry Pratchett okay. has a, uh, of course he doesn't do vampire series. He's got the Discworld, and one of the main groups of protagonists are the witches. Uh, okay. Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og and it's, the younger witch varies. Uh, but one of the books actually uh, Carpe Jugulum. Haha. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> is uh, about vampires. Cool. It's awesome. He actually worked with a folklorist. So when they would do vampires or trolls or fairies, or whatever, you know, he would actually get the folklore part right. Nice. While still making it topical and humorous as all get out. Sweet. Uh, so. Check that one out. Uh, should we, should we talk a little bit about vampires in like comic books? Cause that's literature. You can, I actually don't know. I mean, I've read a few blade comics know who he is yeah um and i know dracula actually was is a character in marvel comics mm-hmm. and uh, i've read uh, some of the old so is comics oh so is he varney in marvel comics varney is the first vampire <laughs> that's cool yeah blade the character blade actually came out of what was it house of dracula was that the dragon or was it, i don't remember what the Marvel. I don't. I remember what the title was that Marvel had for the Dracula comics. That was one of them, anyway. That yeah. one was. So. Yeah, but that's that's where the character Blade originated. Was in the Dracula comics that Marvel was publishing. I didn't discover that character until the '90s, when they they did the whole Midnight Suns thing, which was where Marvel took all their supernatural characters and put them under one imprint. Um, it was still Marvel, but it was Midnight Suns, you know, several titles. There were two Ghost Rider books. There was uh, Morbius, the Living Vampire. They gave him his own book. There was uh, uh, Darkhold Redeemers. And if you know anything about Marvel, you know the Darkhold is Marvel's version of the Necronomicon. Uh, what was it? Night Stalkers. Yeah, Night Stalkers was the one that had... Uh, uh, I can't remember what the one guy's name that did all the tech stuff, but there was Blade, and he was a little different from the Blade that they originally introduced in the Dracula comics. Um, he they drew him as bigger and more muscular, so that that the version of Blade that you see in the Wesley Snipes Blade movies is based off of that later Blade version from the Night Stalkers. Hannibal King, the vampire, uh, he was also part of the Night Stalkers thing. And not really being much of a DC guy, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming they've used Dracula at one point. Actually, I think uh, they had a Dracula versus Batman or Dracula versus Superman comic. It was like a one-shot. Um, I think it was Batman. That would make more sense. Yeah. 
because you know Superman would probably just use his heat vision. Frying. <laughs> Except some of Dracula's powers might be considered magical, and Superman is susceptible to that. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, well, and then there's uh, Vampirilla, who's not really. I don't think she's technically a vampire. I think she's technically an alien, but she has vampiric type stuff. So. I've never really read a Vampira, a Vim, Vampirella <laughs> comic. I have not. I, I tend to get... I just... I, I can't get past the covers. <laughs> I tend to just drool over the covers. Yeah, they're they're not too bad. My my, my all-time favorite Vampirella artwork is Frank Frazetta's artwork. He, huh. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's good with the pen. Yes, that's all I got on vampires in literature. <laughs> yeah, me too. Other than I, we talked whole Dracula, maybe a whole interview. Yeah. So it's not like that's it, but yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that won't be the last one. And we will um, at some point down the road, not this year, but um, and maybe not next year, because I think next year maybe we could talk about different stuff for October. But I don't know. At some point we'll, we'll do vampires in film and television. Yeah. Although we may, I don't know, we, we were talking about doing something short to kind of maybe whet the appetite a little bit about stuff like that. <laughs> Ooh, so, foreshadowing. Yeah, so we, we may have something this year where we talk a little bit about that, but not, you know. Teases? <laughs> um, That's right, baby. <laughs> you got to pay if you want more of this. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that note. <laughs> yeah, on that note. Um, we will sign off. And talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Sorry. I'm uh, going to say I'll see you in your bedroom tonight, but you won't see me. No, wait. wait damn it. On that note, <laughs> I'm, I'm Tony. <laughs> talk to you later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. for that weren't you i was you were saying you've been saving that since last episode i was i thought about it i'm like nope it's, that's too good to waste here i'm gonna try and not mess this up <laughs> yeah i'm looking forward to this and death's threshold thou it be crossing see there i screwed it up oh a red rose <laughs> how romantic Majada. yeah then ghastly haunt the native that i'll start that line over uh, damn it this thing has got type this was i swear my fucking computer has put fucking typos in this <laughs> oh that was gross 200 yeah. 400 200 200 200 uh, 200 400 think we did <laughs> i don't know no we did a 400th anniversary of something right how am i thinking of i don't know what the hell are you thinking of <laughs> i don't know i'm Moving on. <laughs> oh, And interestingly enough, if you want even more foreshadowing, uh-huh. dun, 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 Black Sabbath will be of interest in next week's episode. <laughs> yes, and, they will. <laughs> and, and they will, it will, they do. <laughs>
You'll yeah. see. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> well, yeah. that, that part of the story is. Anyway. <laughs> All right. I, I, I have to go. I yeah, got a text uh, from, well, no, it's not only late. I got a text from Jackie three minutes ago saying, are you about done? You're quite loud. <laughs>